Welcome to another episode of the JMS Podcast. We have an awesome episode today because today our guest is someone I've always enjoyed talking to. He's a real good friend of mine. And uh, pretty much the best way I could describe him, uh, for me, he is a modern philosopher, you know, San Jose-based philosopher. And uh, I've met him at Frascati, and uh, he's a real cool guy. He hangs out a lot. He's a great musician. And uh, he's a great historian. Like anything San Jose based, he will know about it most likely. And in a lot of ways, I consider him my current uh, Sifu. You know, Sifu is uh, is Chinese for um, uh, master or teacher. I believe that it is. I believe it's teacher. Yeah, because he's uh, he's teaching me how to play the guitar. He's teaching me how to sing. He's a real awesome guy. It's a great pleasure having him here at the podcast. He goes by the name. At least when it comes to uh, podcasts and uh, and his, because it's not his stage name, but it, it's a name he'll go by. He'd rather be anonymous as of right now. That's what that's what it is. And uh, he goes by the name of the Winchester History Mouse. That's right, Winchester History Mouse. The thing about the Winchester History Mouse is that he's everywhere downtown. He's everywhere. You might be eating next to him. You might never know. Who knows? You might be sitting next to him. You might never know. You might even be talking to him. You'll never know who this Winchester history mouse is. I think that's something special there. He's everywhere and he's nowhere. But he's uh, he's kind enough to come here to the JMS podcast. And uh, pretty much, uh, honestly... Two guests canceled on me. That's right. I was about to cancel this podcast episode because two people uh, canceled. But I was like, wait a minute. Let's have the Winchester History Mouse around. Let's see what uh, what he's uh, he's thinking about lately. And I guess he's my go-to guy now. He's pretty much like uh, when all else fails, he's gonna be my, pretty much my co-host uh, on those days because he has a lot of great things to say, a lot of interesting things to say. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, please, uh, if you're check out the Facebook page, JMS Podcast, check out uh, my comedy page, uh, Jorge M. Sanchez Comedy on Facebook. I have upcoming shows. I have a show in Livermore in uh, two weeks from now. As we get closer to the date, I'll give you an exact date. And I have a, uh, an improv show coming up at the end of the month. I'd love to tell you more about it. And on my comedy page, I, it's, all the information's there. If you'd like to contact me here through this podcast, you can contact me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send me any questions. Please send me any recommendations of local artists I should interview and stuff like that. It'll be awesome. Also, um, I, my Kickstarter campaign, it's, it's almost done and I still need about, um, I believe, about 700. And I, if you haven't heard by now, I'm developing a web series that's a web uh, that's right, a web series that's uh, based in San Jose and highlights uh, local talents, uh, comedians, musicians, and poets. And, um, oh, I hope I oh, neighbors are fixing their house. I hope you can't hear that. Can you hear that? Fuck me. Anyway, they're working. On, I can't get mad at them. They're trying to fix their house or something like that. You know, that's a, for me, like, if they're making noise and they're building something, I get it. But if they were just fucking around and making noise then I'll have a problem with that what was I talking about oh that's right my kickstarter campaign so yeah 
pretty much it's a web series. It's uh, about a fictional version of myself, Jorge, who's trying to be a stand-up comedian in San Jose. And it's half comedy, half drama. And uh, pretty much he finds an old high school friend uh, who comes back to San Jose. And she has some things to say about San Jose. And Jorge has some things to say about San Jose. And overall, I try to make it as entertaining as possible. But at the same time, I really like to put a enriching story to it. So please go on Kickstarter and check out Looking for St. Jorge. Please share it. Uh, please uh, support this uh, web series. Very much appreciate it. And uh, hey, you know, if, if you ever doubt that San Jose uh, lacks a, a scene, whether it's a music scene or a comedy scene or a poetry scene, I assure you, you're most likely wrong. I mean, it's not huge like other cities, but it's there. And the sad part that it is ignored for the most part, almost deliberately. It's like people complain about it, but they're not really going out looking for it. So why the fuck are you complaining when you're not even looking for it? You know, they believe that these scenes are overtly everywhere. It's like it's not really the case. San Jose is a huge city. And not only that, but it has... Uh, pockets here and there and this web series is pretty much to to show not just locals that but the world you know because this is going on 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 youtube and such so yeah kickstarter looking for saint jorge all right let's go talk to the uh, winchester history mouse
I really do hate mechanical pencils. Let's discuss this. Why? What about them? What about them do you hate? Do you don't hate know. that they're, they're, they're not um, uh, wooden? They don't smell like cedar and remind you of the second grade or whatever? Uh, Could be for nostalgic reasons. Um, but I don't know. It's too... doesn't really feel, I guess, real to me when, I, when I'm using them. Like it's lights and... Mm. I don't know. I just... Is it weird for me to prefer wood? Although, you know, I'm, they're killing more trees because I prefer pencils. Yeah, that's a, I hadn't thought of that. I just think hate's a strong word. Hate. For when it comes to the difference between a mechanical that's and a, a wooden pencil. Hate. See, you just remember. I remember like in, uh, what was it? It was in, there. I was in a sophomore. And a teacher, I dedicated like half of the class. Who teaches what hate is the word hate where it came from how mm. uh, when you say you hate something you hate someone what you're saying is you have enough anger to kill really yeah that's strong and, and for some that. reason it stuck with me it's like why did he dedicate like i don't know like maybe he heard students say hey i hate you or something like that hatred implies uh, hatred. murder pretty much the way he explained it, like the, the historical uh, etymology I think that's the word for the yeah, study of I'm, words I'm not familiar with the etymology uh, of hate and he says yeah hey it's like when you say you know I hate you to your, your fellow classmates or, you, or to your family it means you have enough anger to kill them so uh, mechanical pencils beware so mechanical pe- <laughs> coming dude <laughs> Me- coming with them. well mechanical man who's now uh, retired to plastic should to be oh, wary yeah. I wonder how <laughs> I wonder how mechanical man would feel about this issue yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But here in the studio slash knowledge room, show, do you listen to this podcast quite a lot? Do you think knowledge room is, is a, a good name for this? Knowledge place? room, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, reject that name for this room. I wouldn't, but I'll, I'll throw out some other ideas for you. Like what? How about uh, the rabbit hole? The rabbit hole. <laughs> Well, we're not underground. No, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go down into it. But yeah, we're going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, today. Today, I'm Morpheus. You're Morpheus. Does that make me Neo Trinity? I don't know. I don't know. Who maybe maybe uh, this is your podcast. This is my podcast. So perhaps you're some sort of architect of some sort. I'm the architect. <laughs> That's a good one. But today here in the studio slash toilet room slash rabbit hole. Uh, so we don't know yet. Do you want to go by your real name or do you want to go by your pseudonym? And yeah, your, I don't know. Your pseudonym is the Winchester History Mouse. Yeah, that's right. Which well, let's a- let's. I mean, until I break character accidentally, I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> where, where did that name even come from? Uh, I don't know. I just. Uh, I think I had a. I think I had a track I recorded uh, some music. I had a track I had, and I just sort of name all these tracks random shit. Mm-hmm. It was, and I called it that. And it just became like uh, the name for the music I make that's about San Jose, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Have you been to the Winchester Mystery House? Oh yeah, a bunch of times. I've never been there actually. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of times when I was a kid, and like maybe once or twice as an adult. Did you, you know, went along with the myth? Well, I mean, as a kid, I did. Yeah. And then I started to read up on the complicated truth uh-huh. of that woman's life, Sarah Winchester. Well, but but when you're in it, you didn't like feel like spirits or you know in quotes spirits or or any uh, supernatural. Uh, well, that's interesting, you know, because like the I guess the easy answer is no, I didn't. But I feel like I never do feel any of that shit. 
unless I'm feeling that shit all the time. Like, so whether it's either you feel it or you don't. Like this right here, right now. Yeah. I think's crazy, weird, supernatural. <laughs> like all the time, every interaction we're yeah, having. Yeah, everything, everything mundane and profane in your life and my life, I think is on the same spooky level that any ghostly, weird shit anyone can throw. I think this right here, the normal, everyday shit, is just batshit crazy. So, like, no, I didn't feel anything weird in Winchester Mystery House, except the weird shit that's there all the time. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, everything's fucking crazy. So, nothing nothing any more crazy than... Do you have a room? Do you have a favorite room? Uh, I like the room where it has this, like, prism where the sun shines through it and it lights the room up in all kinds of colors. Oh, like rainbow colors? Yeah. that I forget which room that is, if it's, like, a garden room or a bathroom or whatever, but... She orient the house was oriented in a weird way, mm-hmm. and she had to position this weird prism stained glass window thing that's just right for her weird. Uh, what I guess what would you call her spiritualist? Yeah, yeah, for her uh, spiritualist. Now, now you said you religion. You read up on her a little bit. There's right. a few books floating around about her. Yeah. So from what I know so far, mm-hmm. from what I hear. And you feel free to to bud in, bud in any time. Mm. Was that she came from a aristocratic family from Connecticut mm. or upper, upper class? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess aristocrat. I mean, yeah, and the kind of new money that came out of making rifles. Right. She she, she married. Well, she yeah she, she married into the business. She married into that family, the Winchesters. Uh, but yeah, she yes. came from. She was a socialite. Uh-huh. She had uh, her family had influence. And, and then she her her husband died. Yeah, I forgot from illness. Yeah, I believe he had tuberculosis. I'm not. I, I'm, and I'm keep hazy. in mind, this is in the 1800s, right? This is like yep. late 1800s. Yep. Like like after Civil War or after pre- the Civil War, definitely. And okay, and then since she then moved from Connecticut to San Jose. Yep. After the death of her husband. After death, which is itself a crazy trip. Mm-hmm. Which I still don't know why she even chose San Jose. Do you well, know why? Well, I think. It's important to keep in mind that a lot of rich Eastern heirs and heiresses and tycoons like the Stanfords and all the gold hungry Mm -hmm. people and all the people that were in the agriculture business and the mining business, you know, the San Jose had mercury, there were canneries canning all the fruit, you know, there was a cattle industry going back, you know, 400 years here. Uh, There's all this money and a lot of people with extreme wealth made that trip and built huge crazy mansions out here. She wasn't the only crazy rich weirdo uh, to build a giant unbelievably weird mansion out in the Bay Area. That happened all over the place. There's there's all these examples of that you can find, especially like San Francisco, Knob Hill mm-hmm. up there. Yeah. Same kind of thing except she was a little more remote and she she didn't uh, she didn't really uh, mix with her 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 social strata. Did, did she come here by boat or did she cross the west? Because even then, those were dangerous times to be traveling. That's a good question. You know, I'm I'm I. I want to say by then there were trains, and land, land based. Uh, well, the uh, what was it? The inter- intercontinental railroad. Railroad was built in like in, I believe, early 1900s. Was it not? Yeah. So so, so, so and we're saying this happened in the late 1800s. Well, I mean. 
the dates are hazy, but I'm thinking. So she, she's rich. She, I know. I know she was well. I know she was, you know, in her seventies and eighties, in the nineteen twenties, in San Jose. Mm. When she when when she exactly made the trip? I know she was in San Jose for the nineteen oh six earthquake. Uh, so right, I think, which damaged construction? Yeah, that, that was. What, yeah. When, when was the Intercontinental Railroad? I I assume it was in the early nineteen hundreds, but I, I Grant was president. Grant, Ulysses Grant. That's yeah, right. So it was eighteen hundreds. Was it? Yeah. So okay. I think there was a railroad. So already. maybe she. Yeah, maybe she did. Because for the longest time, I assume she used the uh, by sea the the Clippers. Yeah, through the Panama Canal or all the way around the the Horn. Because I figure at the time that's how most of the uh, aristocrats traveled. Yeah, the the railroad, and I guess a little before the railroad, I think. Mm-hmm. The option to travel overland, and then she comes here and she's like, "All right, I'm building a house." She builds a house, and the myth goes, "Okay, yeah. I'm not saying this is historical, but this well, is, every, everything told. we're talking about is, yeah, is, is a myth, is, <laughs> like we like we were saying earlier, like yeah, we're th- this is going to be an interesting conversation because Look, you know, so half of it's bullshit. Is that her? You know, she began to get haunted by ghosts who were victims of the Winchester rifle. And from what I've been told is a way to uh, not just live with the ghosts, but also, you know, to prepare just in case there's, you know, any danger mm-hmm. when, when dealing with, with the spirit world. She designed a, a house to to be super weird that it's so weird that even beyond humans, it'll be weird to the spirit world. Because I'm thinking it's like, how are you going to how are you even going to like confuse a spirit? Like a spirit could go through a wall, could go through matter, could go through if, if if spirits were true. Right, right. So you know what's the point of designing a house if at the end of the day the spirit right. would just travel freely excellent, throughout? Excellent point. I think that point right there is one of the bullet holes in the whole legend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of problems with the myth that don't make sense, but despite the fact that in none of her writings and in none of the historical documents of writings amongst her family or whatever are there any evidence is there any evidence of her believing that the ghosts of those killed by her husband's family's rifle were hounding her and whatnot there's that's that i don't think there's any evidence of that is that she, i think was invented by the people who were trying to sell tickets to the, the real estate agents but on the other hand, on the other hand, yeah. we know she was a spiritualist of that era. She had seances. She believed in astro- astrological things like that. She had a sort of theosophical bent. She, she, she dabbled in the mystical. So I don't think it's too far-fetched for her to interpret reality in a, a, along the lines of that myth, along the lines of that legend. I don't think the, the family that bought the Winchester Mystery House and sort of hyped the legend were crossing the line too much it's it's to me there are good myths and there are bad myths and -hmm. i think this myth about san jose i think it plugs into something uh deep about the consciousness of the community of that valley uh whether it's true or not i'm gonna allow it i'm gonna allow it how how do you say so like did you feel there's a uh a sense of uh like in the valley, do you feel that there's a, a bit? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know how in New Orleans, like you just feel like even mm-hmm. that there's a bit of a spiritual world touching that area. Yeah. Do you feel that's the same here in the valley? I do, I do. But I think uh, like New Orleans, there's a there's this is a floodplain, the Guadalupe floodplain, and it floods uh, every. You know, it's it's unpredictable, especially nowadays. But it's you know every couple oh, of generations, every generation <laughs> or two. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a 
it's uh, it's the kind of land that changes faster than say a mountainous region or a desert region. Desert regions, they're the same for thousands of years. You put a rock out in the desert and you walk away, it'll be there, you know? Out here, it's like uh, it's like one of these moons uh, around some planet that is all volcanic and it, the surface of it changes constantly and it's never the same. That's how this area is, so we're not we're less conscious of the history here. Like Europe or, you know, Giza, you can't escape thousands of years of history everywhere you look. There's like, you you know, go drinking in, in Italy or something, you're going to be in some bar that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. Some other person drank there hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Here, stuff's old, yeah. but it was all washed away or paved over. Right. No one, no one, you know, but it's you, still there. You know, you know what there. fascinates me? Like yeah. on that trail yeah. is like, especially when I'm driving through El Camino Real. Mm. It's like mm. that route was mm. by used by so many oh, travelers, by so many Native Americans, by so many yeah. people from all the world. And it's like, and just to think that, hey, you know, I just stepped. I'm walking on this very road that who God knows who else walked on this mm-hmm. road. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know. Exactly like, what's their what story? Yeah. Like almost a, 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 a like a footprint or fingerprints left behind. Mm. Yeah. So it's like that saying where you say you go into an Italian bar or, or if you walk if you walk around Rome, you just walk the same steps uh, Romans walked or mm. you, you most likely walk where there's bloodshed. Oh, no doubt. And there's blood in this valley for sure. You know, for sure. Even though this is, uh, you know, when you look at the anthropological record, yeah. this is one of the more peaceful regions on the planet for thousands of years. Well, a studies recently came out that the Ohlone were cannibals. Not cannibals, but they, they, they found chew marks on, on, on human bones. Oh, I have never read that. And not associated with Ohlone anyway. But I've read that in association with, you know, you know many, many thousands of year old... Uh, well, it stuck with me. Yeah. I, I read it on the Metro. Oh, okay. A couple of years back, it stuck with me because I wouldn't be surprised at that. For, but I haven't read that for the longest time. The Loni, I assume, were very you know peaceful pacifists. Right. That's the uh, that's the hippie theory. Because for the most part, you, you don't hear anything. Because when you hear about the Cherokee, you hear about you know the Sioux. Mm-hmm. It's about you know them eventually fighting back. Right. I never really heard of the Loni fighting back against uh, Europeans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This this brings up. Two or three different interesting points to me. I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to react exactly. On the one hand, I think this brings up a point about cannibalism and about taboo in general. Things that our modern culture find immoral or reprehensible, and that culturally relative uh, terminology or ways of approaching it might see it differently. Right? Like yeah. there's there are cultures. I'm not. I'm not too familiar with this, but I think there are cultures that have ritual cannibalism. I think not to make a too much of a stretch, but the Catholic Church has a ritualized cannibalism in its mass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I brought that up to my father once. He got pissed. Well, because yeah. you're, you're the body of Christ is bread, and you're eating it. Yeah, the red wine so, is his blood, and you're drinking. I've it. never heard of the Aloni thing, but the way my mind sort of uh, <laughs> rationalizes this uh, difficult to rationalize idea, you know, of eating uh, human beings is a spiritual or uh, ritual warfare aspect, you know. I think I've read about people in like Papua New Guinea, uh, you know, eating the enemy to get their. I don't know. It's it's it's. Yeah, they they eat the heart to but, get their. Yeah, their this power. definitely contradicts the traditional idea of you know uh, acorn based, uh, fish based 
you know, people. Uh, usually they tend not to uh, engage in the brutal warfare practices that, say, you, a people that live in an area where there's little food, right? Hold on. So let me rephrase, let me see. So you're saying that tribes that were along the coast were more peaceful than the tribes who were in inland? I think tribe. This is just me taking. I'm not because I, I have a theory. I have a theory that yeah. the farther a, a human uh, people get away from a body of water, the more crazier or more uh, aggressive I feel people get. But it's a, th- a weird theory I have. That well, could kind of play along to it. I yeah, don't that's know. pretty deep. That's pretty deep. The that's. I mean, we do come from the water evolutionarily. You know, there's this. You know, millions and millions of year process of organisms sort of uh, the analogy would be extra extra terrestrial exploration right like the way in which astronauts escaped this planet is similar to the way in which fish escaped the ocean they went from one biome one universe of existence Mm -hmm. to a completely alien one a different atmosphere a different strategy of taking in nutrients and everything else right their whole so I think that like your theory might have evolutionary, uh, I don't know, weight to it. But at the same time, you know, have you heard of the aquatic, the aquatic ape theory? I'm going off on all kinds of tangents. Aquatic here, ape. Um, let's see. I, it's not literally, is it? Well, I mean, there's, there's, if I understand it, the, the idea is that one of our, one of the ancestral branches of humanity may have been a semi-aquatic like primate. A, like a mermaid. Well, uh, oh, oh, the, the idea, or, or, or like Atlantis. <laughs> like, like the, think, of, think of, think of... The, the idea there's a subspecies of humans that live in the, in the ocean. Is, is that where you're going at? Well, pr- probably not the ocean. I would say like... Okay, the aquatic ape theory is just a conjectural hypothesis that stipulates... The fact that we have traits that other primates don't have that help us survive in water and under the water means that some of our ancestral gene pool was all up in the water a lot. Right? Yes. That's, that's all it's saying. So the fact that little babies, you know, pretty much in, in early, early infancy can be thrown in the water and they can actually go underwater and hold uh-huh. their breath and open their eyes and swim around. They even like... Yeah. sort of reflex swim it's like they were programmed right already like like yeah they don't they don't start freaking out and in, in, yeah. inhaling water or you know the pruning of our fingertips supposedly i was, I was about to, to mention that yeah yeah uh, like a recent article came out right. uh, on national geographic uh where they said that for the longest time people didn't really i mean they knew that we prune our fingers but we didn't know there was function to it we just assumed it was, it was a reactive yeah. uh thing turns out that uh our ancestors it's you know when they went hunting in the oceans or in general in the oceans mm-hmm. it, 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 in water in water it think of rivers and rivers lakes too. as it's well yeah that it made it easier for them to to travel or, or to just be in in that environment yeah and to grip grip tools mm-hmm. underwater you know it, it helps it increases uh, what is it surface area I guess you know when I was a kid like like a like a super kid and when I was in the bathtub for like a, a while and <laughs> I, I was I, I was imagining that I was aging faster. Yeah, yeah. You like I knew it wasn't, but I, I, I kind of wished I was. I was like, I, I kind of like this is the this is the bath time Benjamin Button syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great movie, by the way. I missed that movie. You know what, dude? Yesterday we were talking about film directors. Yeah. And I, I can't. Believe we didn't. I didn't. I didn't mention David Fincher. 
Ah, uh, Fincher, 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 Fincher. Yeah. Uh, he's Fight Club. Fight Club. He's definitely up there in my top ten. But I feel like he has other great movies besides Fight Club. What else uh, besides Seven? Oh, Seven. Uh, right, that was a good film. One, one of my favorites. Uh, recently, he came out with Gone Girl. Hmm. Um, I I think he's of note. I think he's worthy of note. But I wouldn't put him in the nine year top echelon 10? that we were discussing yesterday. We were talking some big, pretty pretty powerful names. Like you, would you compare? the the like the impact or prof- I mean what do you want in a director basically? I, I think David Fincher has a huge impact when yeah. it comes to film uh, culture I, I think I, th- I think people can even have a whole class on David Fincher and his stuff oh no doubt about it you can have a whole class on not really oh what do you mean see I, I'm you... of the opinion here I'm of the opinion that there's a culture in academia uh-huh. of of see, I disregarding you... yeah. disregarding the the profane the the trivial you know, I think things that you might assume shouldn't be, have a class about, mm-hmm. those are the things I think there should be classes about. And the things that most people would assume there should be classes about, yeah. like maybe David Fincher, yeah. I think we, we've had those classes. I don't, I don't know. I don't see too much innovation there. But, what, but I do see innovation in like the shitty web crap that's you know, everywhere. Hey, you know, I like, think you can make a class out of the Corman films, those B-movies. I'm not familiar with those. Like those, those super cheesy movies. How about a class exploitation on, films? Class on virality, viral videos. A class on viral hey, on uh, on the nature of. I'm viral not going to be surprised if that's like coming. Oh, out. it has to exist. But I, I yeah. mean, that's what I'm talking about. I think you're going to learn more about culture doing that right. than you are with David Fincher. Well, here's where I'm coming from. Because for me, I distinguish filmmakers in a couple of different ways. For me. There's the studio filmmakers, and these are people oh, right, right. Who, who who just go through the system of, of this thing we call the film industry. Yeah, that's a different beast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And usually, if, if they do what, what this, their job, their films are not bad, and they're not great, but they're okay. They, they, they fulfill the role of, of entertaining. Mm-hmm. But then you have a, another breed of, of filmmakers, and these, for me, these are either the visual artists or the storytellers. Mm. And, and these are people that a lot of people remember more, mm-hmm. and, and and I think uh, so. For me, like you know, like who do we mention yesterday? I think like uh, Scorsese, De Palma. Oh. Well, see, yeah, we were trying to think of guys working uh, today that are like Paul that, Thomas Anderson. The, Paul Thomas Anderson. Now yeah, exactly. they have such a distinct voice. Quentin Tarantino. To them. We, we we listed Quentin Tarantino. See, these filmmakers are not approaching it through the system. They're not going. All right, I want to work in Hollywood or like you know. Or, or, or not point I'm trying to make for me they own it up their work they own the work and, and they make it they, they, they put their input yeah auteurs auteur yeah yeah actually yeah, that's these, a, are di- these are directors that I think control I a, most if not yes. all aspects of their product I yeah. think this whole conversation would have gone shorter if I just said auteurs yeah <laughs> no. uh, and but so, yeah, that 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 art form is a little different than the yeah. rogue the rogue nutty dude with with a phone camera, right? Is that was that where you're going? Or? Even that guy, if that guy has his own voice with that rogue, you know, stuff. Yeah. What, well, fucking a! It's like a different voice, a different perspective. Why right. not look at it? So for me, uh, if you're making a class on some guy that you know, I mean, sure, he he worked in Hollywood a lot, but it was just generic stuff. It's for me, it's you're not really uh, invigorating. A, someone's mind as much because they could just go watch the movies as opposed to uh, you know Quentin Tarantino and see him his personality his history and, and kind of see what he's tick I see I think there's something fascinating about that I see yeah I think um, can, can you say the it, same about musicians 
I think so. I was gonna, I was I was thinking about this earlier that there's this big studio product type musician, and I think you talked about this with. Uh, one of your former guests, I can't remember which musician it was, but you talked about the difference between a musician who is predominantly or significantly business oriented and has a corporation behind them and representing them and has that entire apparatus behind them and representing them. The di One of your guests was talking about the validity of that compared to an indie artist or an artist who's not... Uh, participating in the sort of economy of the music industry you know uh, those types of people me included like to sort of uh, you know we like to sort of shit on the the sellout uh, stereotype right mm -hmm. but at the same time there's there's a validity there's an honor to that system that I that your guest I forget his name was 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 getting at. I think this applies to what you're saying about filmmakers I knew who it is but I'm not gonna say because I want my listeners to go back and listen yeah check that out it's a good episode actually <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the these filmmakers, some of the ones in history that come into mind, like Cecil B. DeMille, huge money, huge, mm -hmm. huge production, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that didn't keep him, you know, the, the apparatus, the beast of Hollywood didn't keep him from putting his stamp on it. But You know, it's no excuse. Right. Orson Welles, you know, like but you can participate, you know. I don't know. Uh, you can play ball. You know, Kubrick had his Hollywood phase with Spartacus, you know, mm -hmm. he did that. He did the Cecil B. DeMille thing. He, he did the huge, you know, the equivalent of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. He came in halfway through Spartacus. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He did. And he never again went back, went back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that jaded him. He, he, he was done with Hollywood well, from well, then on. I, Hollywood like, then is it. different from Hollywood now though. Uh, you know, back, yeah. the, the CC DeMille days, mm -hmm. uh, cause to them, uh, for them, they they were trusting writers more mm -hmm. back then, and that's why you got so many films like fifties eras, forties eras, even thirties eras with such great storytelling. This this old Hollywood, I I, I apologize to interrupt you. Yeah, Please hold ahead. your thought. Yeah, this applies to to me. This applies to the Sarah Winchester conversation. Yeah, about it, it all, and, and it all to, comes and, back to and to ghosts. Not to, <laughs> I'm not even doing this on purpose. Like this really this really did hit me right now. What early investors in Hollywood the first people to bring filmmaking to California from the east you know how it was like in the east Edison and like they were doing Nickelodeons and shit back east all these like garage well in Europe too in Italy and in yeah. France the early the, people yeah. to bring filmmaking to Hollywood to start the film culture in California they are similar to Sarah Winchester you know the the just the financial and intellectual and cultural energies that created American film, uh, you know, also created what I would call the Silicon Valley medium. You know, we have this film medium that was created by weird kooks from, you know, from not from California that to bring it out here. Right. And you had the same sort of sort of thing with the early investors in some of these universities around here. My point is, is like Sarah Winchester as a symbol, the story, similar to old Hollywood. It's like California nuttiness. Like it's nuttiness that sort of incubated for decades and decades and then exploded in the form of a weird technology mm -hmm. that's psychedelic. In the case of valet, it was like this film thing that you sit in front of in a trance 
and experience the emotions of whoever well, you're seeing. Well, it, it, it was a communal thing at the time too, because you went there right. to experience it with, with a group of people. Right. You both saw the same thing, and uh, I'm, even to today, when you watch a movie in theaters, is different. And I'm not talking because it's bigger mm-hmm. the screen, but you're watching with others, and there's something magical about that. As there's, opposed to watching it on your laptop by yourself. I love that. I love that aspect of cinema. But there's also something creepy about that. There's also something Orwellian about a bunch of people staring at one thing and not acknowledging each other. You know, people talk shit about the people on their phones and shit and how we're all disconnected, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Look at the people looking at the screen in a theater. To me, it is beautiful. It is spiritual. It, it's, it, it reminds me of a shamanistic sort of psychedelic experience. I love it, especially when it's done well. When, the, when a filmmaker is aware of this aspect of what film is mm-hmm. to the human brain and to the psyche it's awesome but at the same time it's really creepy especially when maladaptive or unhealthy worldviews or ideologies or things are so would you think of it the same if let's say a performer and everybody's watching a performer like like saying they're all watching this one guy perform do you feel it's the same creepiness coming there because they're all directing their attention in silence Mm. to this one person and his ideas yeah, okay. I mean, remember how? how I was, does that make sense? It does. But all the performances, even somebody who is, you know, even a let's say, for example, a telemarketer calling somebody and putting on a performance to try to get them to buy whatever, whatever telemarketers sell. That's just as profound and deep. A, you know, I think it could be construed to be. Uh, a uh, artistic realm of behavior as any high art as any opera as any ballet you know this is what I was saying about how some classes shouldn't be about highbrow shit anymore I, I think I think academia needs like a, a complete 180 Dude, overhaul in terms of its there's so many levels I feel the education system needs to be reformed I mean agreed. I, I think for the most part there's 20th century uh, education for a 21st century world Absolutely. as far as far as the United States Absolutely. you know it's 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 money time that you wait you someone's time and money is being put into this more importantly is their time yep you know what I'm saying yeah yeah I think it's it's, it's that the whole idea of minimum wage is like how much is an hour of your time worth oh see okay. what I'm saying now so you're in, at... in, in education it's like okay this so is... like how many years of your time is it worth for this piece of paper that tells right. society that that you should be paid more than others because mm-hmm. of this piece of paper you know what sharecropping is sharecropping is it the old term when you, yeah when... the the agricultural uh-huh. system of of keeping a laborer on the land yeah it's an old school scam that is a less insidious less terrible form of slavery you know, it was basically, you know, at least America's sharecropping like, like, like the surf legacy. system. Yeah, it is a form of serfdom. Fe- feudalism. What I'm getting at is, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that our education system and the certifications and the student loan sort of industry is slavery. I'm I am I do throw the word slavery around in a very irresponsible and and broad vague <laughs> thing, but I don't want to use it in that. I think it's more metaphorical here. I think that. Mm-hmm the the academic system for the vast most 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 part is bullshit scam uh right. <laughs> pseudo pseudo slavery it's 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 not it's not educating people to become better human beings and more productive and more constructive human beings 
what it's doing is it's actually rewarding egotistical thinking. It's building walls between different cultures of, of, uh, I guess, uh, knowledge, cultures of knowledge, you know, I, I, it's training us to be yeah. a society of, of narrow minded. Right. You know. And for me, this ties it back to here. Silicon Valley. Yeah. It, it all ties it back here. Cause here we have such a mixture of intellectuals, such a mixture of day, like labor work. Mm. I mean, if, if we're, you know, concerning the orchards and, and that, uh, you know, the, even so today, you just go down to Salinas or, or, or to Gilroy or Los Gatos. Mm-hmm. Not sure about Los Gatos too much, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there's laborers still here. And at the same time, it's like, it's world renowned, Silicon Valley, for, for its, you know, the money here and for the education. But at the same time, it's like, the other day we talked about, it's like, people don't know, you know, there's there's an underworld here mm. that, not pe- that, that people here are trying to ignore. Yes. And that's, and that has always existed here. I think you were yeah. getting at that with the cannibalism in the Ohlone, you know. Oh. The, the, there's there's a Eden. There's an e. What, what would be the word? A sort of uh, Edenic, or you know, a uh, paradise concept. There's this uh, myth of California history of the of the old beautiful, peaceful pastoral past where it was just you know it's bullshit everything was, yeah it is bullshit like in order to it make paradise you're gonna have to destroy something you yeah. know what I'm saying yeah like it's 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 you know I guess people just don't really think about who's suffering from this right for, from this growth or from this I don't know how to put it necessarily in words but uh, I lost my train of thought yeah I think what you're getting at is this ebb and flow between historical forces like, oh we're talking about education right right sharecropping mm-hmm yeah, man, you got a lot of work to get done. I think, I think, I think a lot of college students, these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of college students mm-hmm. that are being churned out of this education system with little degrees in whatever specialty they're hoping to make money in, they're sharecroppers of data instead of corn or cotton. Right. They're basically they're basically stuck. You know. Uh, they're really good at googling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I think uh, Googling would be the equivalent of cotton picking. Whoa. <laughs> wow. I, I can and, you know, that. come on, Eli Whitney, the cotton gin. Right. So Google is like Eli Whitney yeah. making it easier to, to, to pick the cotton. Yeah, this is a whole rock opera. It's, it's, it's like, uh, I totally get it, man. It's like before students would have to go to the library and have to take out a book, read a book, mm-hmm. before they would have to actually, uh, you know, talk to people in a certain field. Now it's all on the Internet. It's on Google. It's all there. It's all, and it's great on one side, but sometimes like you know, the, the like again, in order to to build something that's paradise or something or innovation or, mm-hmm. or progress, something has to be killed. Right. Well, you like has film. To be, You're a filmmaker, right? Yeah. Somebody was crying. Somebody in the theater arts was crying when film took off. <laughs> right. Especially that, those yeah. that made a lot of money yeah. in theater, because from then on, the birth of this beautiful new art form, film, right? I, I, you can't say it murdered it, it but it kicked it, the shit out of theater. <laughs> it, it really well, did. Well, TV kicked the shit out of the film. True. But back in the fifties, true. Uh, it's, and it, the internet uh, and cable are kicking the shit out of the television broadcast, <laughs> right? And whatever, whatever weird uh, shit podcast into our kicking head. the shit out of the radio. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, well. Podcast, podcasting, I see as a sort of, um, actually, I don't know. I, I'm curious of your thoughts on this. 
Hmm. I see podcasting as a alternative medium. I don't really see it as as fitting into any real see framework. It's funny you say that because I was going to mention that too when it comes to theater and film. Mm-hmm. Where I, I could see how they're in theater, but at the same time, I feel theater is more. If anything, theater helps film a lot. Oh, sure. In, in sure. my opinion. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would agree with that. It's, it's, it's something with podcasts. Where podcasts and radio, it's not so much that they're, they're competing, but if someone that does podcasting, will be easier to transfer over to radio, right. and, and vice versa. Some radio can transfer. Can to we agree that radio programming mm-hmm. is basically the same art form as audio podcasting? It's just a different medium. We're talking into microphones and people are listening to us. To me, that's the same art form. The bare essentials, yes. Yeah. So, like, you know how the switch to digital filmmaking? Mm-hmm. Just because they switch from film and celluloid or whatever to yeah. digital ones and zeros doesn't yeah. mean this art form is no longer the same art form. It's just a different medium. Right. So, what we're doing here is the same art form as the early, early, early pioneer radio motherfuckers. Like, yeah, which you know. some of them were in San Jose. Did you know, did you know that? Oh, I'm not familiar with well, this. Well, uh, I've yeah, some of, there's these two brothers that are from San Jose, and they're one of the first ones to uh, broadcast a radio on the West Coast. Uh, and they used a certain new, uh, they invented a new thing. Uh, God, if one of my listeners know, please send me an email about it at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Nice. But because but, I, I know I read it and I, in class, my radio class, we, we studied them too. Mm. Well, these brothers, they, they made waves, radio waves reach even farther. This sounds like it almost foreshadows the technological boom in Silicon Valley. Well, I was gonna say, man, it seems like we're kind of touching this thing, this 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 premise that this valley has always attracted the wealthy, and has also attracted and the poor, the, the poor, yeah. and has also attracted progress in some ways. Hmm. Could it be that, that? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Can I time out for a second? Yeah, because like. Yeah, the word not to be not to be nitpicky here, but the word progress I think needs some defining. Okay, how do you define it? I I kind of don't. I think progress is a uh, an illusion. I think the idea that we're moving in a, in a direction that's good or bad. I forget the philosophical term for this, hmm. but it's it's the idea that things are moving in a direction of some sort linearly. Not the right direction, just a it, direction. Any direction at all. Any yeah, direction. Yeah. And then there you know there's a subcategory of philosophy about it being good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the my favorite one of my favorite guys that that digs that is De Chardin, the French Jesuit monk. He, his idea is that everything's moving towards the uh, the Omega point, mm-hmm. which he associates with the Catholic God. But he, he you know he he's a look him up. I think his name is Teliard Tell, de Chardin, but uh, I think it's C H A R D I N. He's he's one he's he's of the idea that shit's moving in a direction. The idea of entropy. The idea of a flow, uh, you know. So, I, I, is I he think, implying that there's an end to everything, and we're all just heading towards that? De Chardin, I think so. I think that's what I think that's what he's implying. I think so. Like uh, a lot of a lot of psychonauts, psychedelic people talk about this. Uh, psychonauts well. is, is their term. Yeah, psychonaut is a, psychonaut. is a legit term, and it's someone who uses psychedelic chemicals to explore the nature of reality in a systematic way. Hmm. But uh, and you know, I would argue that a shaman is in a any animistic if that's a word one could use for that religion is the same is the same idea most artists even if they're not imbibing in psychedelic chemicals i think are crossing boundaries between this world and other worlds is there your phone yeah well 
Guess, See, who, guess who's calling me? See, if who? you guess who's calling me, I'll give you $5. Why? Because it's significant to the podcast. Is it? Yes. Uh, let's see. We've been talking about Winchester. Your first guest. David Fournier. See, we're, David uh, Fournier. You're, you're the first guest on this podcast. Why? Sensed telepathically that we were talking about him. some heavy, heavy, <laughs> heavy duty, heavy duty truth. And he had to interrupt it. He's like, we can't allow this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're saying there's a conspiracy saying, here? I'm, yeah, I'm saying there, there's I'm people saying, out there that yeah. don't want, don't want us to be talking about this. <laughs> They're like, no, we want Silicon Valley to be pristine. We want yeah. people to to you know think of Silicon Valley as a a great place to be. Yeah, and... dude, we're opening the curtain. We're opening the curtain, dude. Oh shit! Someone's texting me. You're right. Someone's texting me right now. See, and it's a number I don't recognize. See, whoa, this is crazy, dude. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not making this up. Helicopter is actually <laughs> outside this window right now. I'm just kidding. Okay, wait, wait. Put on airplane mode. So, dude, before I, I, you know it, we're going to have some, like, uh, agents coming in. Hey, long story fucking short. Yeah. I don't buy that shit. That linearity of time, Omega Point. Uh, Terrence McKenna calls that shit. What does he call it? He calls it the, sh- the, the strange attractor at the edge of time. <laughs> you know? Or at the end of time. It's bullshit. That shit, I think, is an illusion. Simply... Okay, I think that's an illusion, and I think the reason why we humans buy that illusion is because we're mortal and we perceive time in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. When I don't, I think that's where we believe there's a beginning where we're born and there's an end where right. we die. I think that's an. I think, I think the idea that time is linear and that, like you just said, there's a point, there's an a, there's a point, and then another point, you know, and in between that is your life. That's valid to a certain extent, but. Boy, that's that's such a tiny piece of the of the of the truth, you know, of the picture. It's a very human thing to think of time as linear. I don't think anything else would think of time as linear. No, it's not human. Uh, it's it's not very civilized. Civilized? Because the animistic cultures that we uh-huh. were referring to earlier, like the kind that uh, like tra- Native Americans. Yeah, indigenous people that live close to nature. You know, mm-hmm. I might be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they don't really see time as linear. I think they see it as circular more. So it's a Western thought. Would you say? Yeah, w- the yeah, with the caveat that the word Western is is insane. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's. Well, I mean, I like think, uh, I think the idea European of, thought or European hmm. American. Uh, tricky, uh, tricky uh, business uh, you're in. Uh, yeah, the Winchester yeah. history mouse. His his the ears are perking <laughs> up and like. The but nose by is Western, twitching. I mean I'm trying to because I'm trying to articulate. I know what you mean. The Western Western culture, Western civilization, quote unquote, right? right? The, yeah. the civilization that is making this planet sick. Fuck and it, that has uh, massacred it. millions of human beings. The, the, the corporate way of thinking. Interesting. Uh, do you do you consider religions corporations or corporations religions? Um, do you consider governments corporations? I think I think corpor- uh, corporate can be in religion. Okay. That, like I, I think because religion, it starts yeah. so, it starts off with the belief and faith. I believe. Ah, and good old fashioned belief. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I believe this, as I Jorge Sanchez believe this. Mm-hmm. Now, for me to be to to be like James. Oh, I'm sorry. The the I should write that down. No, no, that's uh, okay. That's okay. I, I'm James right now. <laughs> the Winchester Mystery House has no gender. The gender of the Winchester Mystery right. House. No, no, no. The Winchester Mystery House. Yeah. No, the Winchester History Mouse. Uh-huh. Has one gender, just one gender, and that's rock and roll. That's rock and roll, baby. <laughs> there we. <go. laughs> All right, so I have my belief, and I, and I interpret the world a certain way, and I interpret even beyond this world a certain way. And for me, okay. Now, James, you may think something differently. 
mm-hmm. for some reason I'm compelled to 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 convince you to believe like I do. Mm. And if you don't disagree with if you disagree with me, then I feel that's where religion kind of comes in and kind of starts putting the, these lines. Yeah. I can't uh, agree with uh, you more. Uh, and and those kind of things it's like corporations where it's like here's our product or here's you know in some cult way this is what our our company represents this is the image mm-hmm. yeah the word culture come to is, us is this come to us not to our competitors yeah you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so religion it, i mean i know ex- i follow you you know what i'm saying yeah like the the, Catholic, the roman catholic mm-hmm. uh a part of me is like there's a lot of deep bad shit they've done and they're still doing you could say that Again and, and again, right? And, and and in this valley, by the way, and, and how so? Well, the mission, the mission system, whether they intended to or not, eradicated. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about like, like generations in, in today's of, times. Sorry. Oh no, no, no! I'm just saying the history of the Catholic Church yeah. and that that bloody history extends to this soil. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, and a part of me is like, well, as of right now in time. They're as far as accepting someone else's beliefs, they're they're they're, they're kind of not no longer at least killing them or, or taking away their children anymore. Um, yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> true, but uh, going back to your to yeah. to, to religion and corporations, I I I, I, I I I do think there's yeah. a very very thin line between them, mm. very very thin. Mm. I do too. I don't I don't even it, acknowledge it, that line. It's almost a blurred line. Yeah, I don't even think it's there myself. No. No, I agree. I agree with you so far. So I I, I agree with you more than you do. <laughs> than okay. you agree with yourself. <laughs> you agree I would take it several steps farther, my friend. Well, like what? Well, I think all forms of ideology might be I wrestle with this cuz a really good friend of mine uh, disagrees with me on this and she's she's making headway in terms of uh, questioning this. So I'm I'm re-examining this point of view right now. So I'm in flux. So, you know, hypocrisy warning. <laughs> but I I tend to, you know, I lean on the, I lean towards, okay. I think ideology in general, ideas as just in and of their nature are inherently limiting. That's a radical statement to make. Like the, uh, having an idea is limiting, or or having uh, an idea. See, uh, like- I want to distinguish idea from thought. I haven't. Okay, perhaps I should backpedal here because if I continue down this road, a lot of people who define words uh, the way most people define words are going to uh-huh. have problems understanding what I mean. Okay. Because so walk me through the it. way I think of it. I think of ideology. As evil, <laughs> I think that I Not, think that defining things uh, rigidly in terms of classification mm-hmm. is uh, an antiquated strategy of interpreting reality. Would you say that ideology and culture is intertwined? Definitely, I think ideology is a type of cultural product. Like you were talking about the corporate. Culture. Well, and I feel how there col- are products. I feel the Ide- opposite. I feel culture is a product of ideology. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because culture tends to be a physical thing. 
right? So, so you're saying that ideology is evil, therefore culture can also be evil. Yeah, yeah. Across the board. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I'm. I think lately. But, but, I think lately I've been questioning this and uh-huh. wondering if if I'm just bringing some sort of weird bias. Do you feel culture is important for a person? And by culture, I don't mean like you know people going out to theaters or listen to classic music I'm thinking mm-hmm. about uh, defining a group of people by their culture no because that's what we're talking about here right right I think that tearing down boundaries between all things cultures peoples nations even taxonomy even trees right like you know I love trees and you know I love like uh, identifying the species of a tree but in a way, this is my way of sort of lamenting the fact that our brains do that. Like, it's not necessary. It's not necessary at all. Like, if putting boxes around ideas is one, is a person's strategy to understand those ideas, that's cool. But I think that person should be willing to ditch the box after they're done. It, like scaffolding. Like, if you're going to build a building, you build a scaffolding first so you can get up there and do whatever the hell you need and then when the building's done you throw the scaffolding away it's not evil so I take back the evil thing it's I think what what is evil is when people mistake the scaffolding the ideology for the truth which is the creative forces of humanity and whatnot I think ideology is a parasitic well then again like what truth thing. are we talking about here like, like it seems yeah it, like truth this seems like a broad thing Definitely. To... That's why I have a problem with defining it rigidly. Okay. It's so broad that I think ideology in general is the wrong approach towards it. If that makes... I, I hope this makes sense. But, but is ideology also... I mean, people by nature, mm-hmm. uh, and of course there's outlier, outliers, mm-hmm. are social animals. Would you say that? Would you agree with that statement? Sure. I mean, we interact with other human beings as part of our existence yeah to the point where where it's it, it without that we would yeah we could be on it's unhealthy not, psychologically yeah we can't exist without other people right well not just uh, without other people but working with other people trusting other people uh and would you agree with that statement i, I suppose so yeah i i, I don't th- yeah that sounds okay. about right to me i guess so in some ways and this and i'm a person who's who who really loves to be alone and and distance myself from other people you know what so. dude I, 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 but at the same time i acknowledge that i was really into emerson for a while when i was younger yeah. i was really into like you know going out in nature uh you know by myself and like live there for a year in a cabin and right. stuff but then I find out that the fucker on weekends will go to his sister and his mom for, for oh, Thoreau? <laughs> yeah. Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau. Oh, sorry, I confused Thoreau with Emerson. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, no, no, anyway, they're 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 the same. Yeah, <laughs> they're the same guy. No. Yeah. Okay, so, going back though. So in some ways, the sense of ideology and culture. Do you? I'm, yeah, I'm you, perceiving you, it as perhaps people using it as a tool to be like ah, he's from cool. he's or or in some ways of of saying. He's from my culture, so I therefore I could trust this person. Mm. And if this guy is not not from my culture, I'm a little worried about. It. I don't know what he's about yet. He he possibly could be some other tribe that that, that could be you know dangerous, or maybe right. not. But then again, you know, you, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, you you're saying there's a practicality to it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be bullshit. <laughs> Why? I, I think I think people are worse off since the dawn of civilization. 
I think there was. I don't want to. Okay, things weren't but, but perfect. Which civilization are we talking about here? The civilization, the like I, Mesopotamia kind of civilization. Yeah, I'd say okay. since the birth of agriculture, patriarchal society, the birth of hierarchical state institutions, the birth of religion, the birth of those institutions, which are basically networks of ideologies working together like some sort of weird. So, do you believe in the fungus? noble savage? Um. Yes and no. I think that can be taken too far. I think there are there are hippy dippy kumbaya people that don't want to think about how brutal life was before, you know, uh, urban settlements and you know technologies that we take for granted today. You know, I'm not one of those. I understand that, especially in tough regions where it's hard to survive. This gets back to the cannibalism issue. Mm-hmm. In tough regions where it's tough to survive, shit's fucking tough. You know, but. That being said, if you consider the track record of this civilization in regards to the biome, in regards to ecology, in regards to how it treats itself even, you know, we may be living longer and there may be a net, you know, decline in violence in the last 50 to 100 years, as Pinker argues. I don't think we're better off mentally, spiritually, you know, uh, medically I think the surveys that seem to indicate that people who live really, really tough, hand-to-mouth, hard-scrabble lives are happier than Western creature comfort middle-class Americans seem to indicate, you know? Because these surveys seem to indicate there's a huge disparity in you know happiness. What, you know what I don't get? I hear so many surveys. Never in my life have I ever taken a survey and, like, well, like a survey that's like supposedly these kind of questions. Yeah. I'm you, like, and I, so you and I are so, the same. So, I've never so, taken a survey. So who's either. answering these fucking questions? Yeah. Like, like a recent poll came out that uh, people in San Jose are, 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 were ranked as like top five cities in the United States where people are happy where they're at. And I'm like, I live here for all my life. I never heard of anybody asking these questions. Nobody I know answered these fucking questions. Yeah, yeah. So where are they getting these, these ratings from? Old people. Old people. Don't, fuck. <laughs> that, that angers me for some reason. You old people anger me. Maybe because I'm. I feel like I'm getting old and no, I'm. I'm, I'm half joking. Uh, me but, too. But yeah, there, I, I love old people. There's old people listening. That's not what I meant. You but, know, you're right. You're right. And and the survey I cited is probably complete bullshit. But I'm gonna I'm gonna cite it anyway because <laughs> it backs me up. But, okay, uh, going back to civilization though. Yeah. Before civilization, we were a hunter gatherer, uh, uh, kind of system going on, or was there something else? There's a lot of problems with that term. Okay. It's a very diverse group. You know, there are so many different strategies human beings develop to survive in their environments. Okay. How about tribal? 200,000 years. What would tribal system work? Yeah. Any, any, I, I, yeah. Pre, how about this? Let's say that, let's say that human society took a huge leap in complexity around 15,000 years ago. Complexity. Com- okay. Right, because the average size of a settlement before fifteen thousand years ago was like you know one hundred and fifty people. Fifteen thousand years ago. Yeah, and you know modern humanity is about one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand years old. Give me a landmark. Like what civilization were around at fifteen thousand years ago? Yeah, around fifteen thousand years ago is where you start to see monumental architecture, big, complicated societies. You know, intricately organized all over the world. Or because I know like some place in the world, 
You know, this is debatable. Uh, this is another fascinating topic. It, big, this is this is another fascinating topic well, we're getting into. What pops into mind are yeah. the uh, the it was before the Aztecs, mm, the Olmec, the Olmecs. Yeah, they had pretty intricate. Uh, yeah, the Olmecs st- are uh, really a mysterious civilization. They, I, I wouldn't. Architecturally, they're very intricate, and I believe they're older than fifteen thousand years ago. And yeah, I, see, and, and then there's the people in. You're you're, you're touching in, on some really heavy heavy uh, stuff. It's by uh, it's. Is it Cambodia? Mm. Oh shit! Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It amazes me the architect of that place, and that place is, is, is like like way before. Are you fami- okay, okay. Are you are you familiar with the idea of um, the last ice age having wiped the face of the earth like clean of of any evidence of uh, super ancient civilizations, like the Atlantis idea? Uh well, to be fair, we've gone through like five different ice ages, and I think those ice ages themselves. That's true. I'm not too familiar. The last uh, one, I guess, because there was a mini one. I'm not talking about the mini ice age in in like recent history. I'm talking about the ice age that brought glaciers of ice all the way down to you know what's now like Texas and shit. Like, see the the from what I understand it, uh-huh. there's more and more evidence accumulating in the archaeological field mm-hmm. that civilization quote-unquote complicated social structures and shit is way older than we think the conversation we're having now like i'm assuming it's not that old not at all actually a lot of uh see that's something that fascinates was just ironically in a class we're having this this discussion and how philosophers or in general people what their troubles are very similar to our troubles now Mm. When it comes to the way we perceive politics, the way we perceive, uh, you know, different society issues. Yeah. They had the same brain. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, neurologically speaking, I don't think, I'm not sure of this, but but, but I think they have the same mental capability as we do. And even to some extent, even the way we perceive the universe. Like back in the days, they had an idea that the universe was much bigger than what we see. They had an idea, even back to like, you know, uh, Zoroastrian times. Or the string theories and stuff like they had an idea. It wasn't until like really you know uh, academia came in and be like, nope, there's an empirical way of looking at things, and therefore, in a very the ideological, rigid, dogmatic way of looking at things. I would see. Sounds like you're kind of like getting at what I'm talking about 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 the maladaptive nature of ideology. Mm-hmm. I think there's a a cultural programming that attempts to convince us that ideology is necessary and useful but i'm doubting that more and more here's okay what when you were when you just when you were mentioning this i'm i'm now wondering about the the uh wait what did you just say i lost my train of thought hmm? could you go back could you repeat how what far you back said? you want me to go um recently i talked about how people Sorry. People back then had an idea about the universe. Uh, at least, you know, we believe that that there there's several ways that the universe could work, and acknowledging that, hey, you I know, got it. Okay, I, I, I remember ac- what I was. And then thinking. academia comes in and be like, hey, we don't know, so this is what we do know. Or this at least what we assume. Got and, it. And and since we've got the certification that we're we're academics, mm-hmm. we're right and you're wrong. Yes, the that idea to me fits in with the way I look at it. Because I think like an individual, if you go back in time, in the case of Jorge or me, the further you go back, in my humble opinion, the closer to the truth 
the individual has it. Meaning, the truth, the, the true nature of the way the universe is, I think the infant immediately after birth or before birth, or even the zygote to like anthropomorphize cells, understands quote unquote reality more than the, the developed quote unquote human being. I think our journey in life is like a, a, a curve that, that goes up and in the middle of our life when we're about our age now, we're the least knowledgeable about anything. And then at, right before we die and immediately after we die, I think we go back to the truth, just like we had the truth before we were born. My point so is that all, society we follows are going the same path. towards the omega. Society follows the same path, uh-huh. right? Yeah, good point. This is a linear analogy here. It's, it's, my, brain, my brain works in this way. Okay. Despite its... So society works that way, where at the beginning of a society... We don't know shit. Yeah, I think if you go back in time when it comes to human beings, uh-huh. I think we we were on the we were on track. I think more or less, and then we've lost it. And I think right now we're at the peak of our having lost it. You know, hmm. uh, as a as a species, you know, I think we we're off the path that the harmony of the universe uh, requires. If that makes sense, we're, uh, we're dissonant. Are, are are you fairly pessimistic about our future? Um, no, I, I would I would say I'm I'm more optimistic about our future. In that, I'm a lot of people are uh, a lot of people are afraid of the end of their life or mm-hmm. the end of the human species, you know, and. Maybe you'd call me pessimistic, because I think it will end and everything ends. I, but I don't. I, I, I don't see that as a negative thing. Consider calling you a realist, but some listeners might think you're yeah. pessimistic. But I have nothing against it. I'm mean, not saying that as as a, a way to, uh, to to as a connotation. But I'm just curious to know: Are we reaching the Omega Winchester History Mouse? I think. Uh, I think I see it coming up actually at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> the way that. <laughs> all right it's been an hour already you know what every time a guest cancels on me you're coming in you're, you're, you're gonna be a regular on, on, on this podcast always an honor always down to talk bullshit with you because <laughs> at the end of the day isn't that what it all it is it's all it is it's all bullshit it's all it is <laughs> all right man thanks for coming out hey i think we figured out what what the strange attractor at the end of time is what is that? Bullshit. 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 <laughs> yes, at the end. <laughs> oh, man. Well, can't, I'm looking forward to it. It was nice talking to you, all right?